And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Please be seated. What an incredible worship set to come before the Lord together and lift our eyes to him, lift our hearts and hands to him. Welcome. So glad you've joined us today. I want to welcome each of our campuses. Welcome to the Short North. Welcome to, to Whitehall. Welcome to Polaris. And of course, you here at Hilliard. Great to have you joining us today. I want to welcome those who are online and watching on TV. Every week I hear from folks walking in saying, hey, I've been watching you on TV or online. This is my first time and it was incredible. So if you've been watching online or on TV, we want to invite you to join us in person as soon as you get a chance to worship together in community is wonderful. And then let's all together worship the folks in hundreds of prisons across our worship with them, celebrate them, welcome them, those who are imprisoned across our country. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Todd Mara. I have the privilege of serving on the directional team here at Rock City and have for uh, almost 10 years. It's been a great blessing and gift to me. And I want to thank Pastor Chad and Katie for allowing me to preach. I've been thinking about this sermon for, for some time. It's the second church in Revelation called the Church in Smyrna. And I was thinking about Chad who frequently says, hey, and the week before I'm working on a sermon, I'm always tested by God in the truth of that sermon. God shapes me as I begin to prepare that. Chad says that often. And of course, I wonder about that because this, uh, this church is a church about suffering. So he wanted to give that to me instead of him, I guess. I have to ask him about that a little bit later. But what a great privilege for me to get to, to share this message to, together today with you. The church in Smyrna is the suffering church. Because, this is really the key part of the message, because they held tightly to their first love. Last week we talked about Ephesus and God calling them back to their first love. The church in Smyrna held tightly to their first love and never let go. Never let go. Chad read this verse to us last week as well from Revelation chapter 1. Revelation 1 says this, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written because the time is near. Three parts of that verse. Those who are reading it will be blessed. Those who hear it will be blessed. And those who heed it will be blessed. And we'll be talking about the heeding today. How do we take to heart this message that, this, that the Lord spoke to the church in Smyrna? Let me welcome him into this space as well. He's already here, but let's celebrate him together. Father, in our Father, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And Jesus, walking among us and living within us and spirit of the living God, we're so glad you're here. We're counting on you today as we open your word. Would you move in us? Would you stir in us? Would you draw us to you? Will you whisper words of life and love to us, Lord? We're here for you to glorify your name. So thankful for your presence in the name of Jesus. Amen. John is exiled on the island of Patmos. Chad said this last week, and he writes this to the church. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Christ. Suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Christ was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He's been sent to the island under punishment. 
He's suffering for the cause of Christ for two reasons, he says. John is experiencing suffering because of the word of God, because of the word of God, and because of the testimony of Jesus. He said, I wouldn't give up on the word of God, and I wouldn't give up on my testimony of Jesus. I find myself imprisoned on the island of Patmos. That's where I'm writing from. And in Revelation chapter 2, he writes this to the church that we're studying in Smyrna. And it's an incredible and difficult and heavy and powerful passage for us to read. So pay attention to it as we read it, because it's unique. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write this, Jesus said. I am the first and the last. I was dead, Jesus said, and I've come to life. Don't forget that, suffering church. I too am the first and the the last. I too died. I suffer, but I'm back alive. Again, don't forget that in suffering, he said. I know. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? And the slander, those who are saying horrible things about you, making them up, lying about you. These people say that they are Jews, but they're not. They are a synagogue of Satan. It's the devil himself. And then this thought, do not fear. Wow. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. I don't know, that's hard for us, isn't it? Fearing suffering seems common. Don't fear what you're about to suffer. Behold the devil, don't fear this, but the devil is about to throw some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. There's a start and there's an end, but you'll have trouble, tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful unto death, wow. Don't fear You're about to go into prison for some period of time. Be faithful unto death. Don't be afraid of that. Wow, Lord. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life, eternal life, forever. With me, the one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. The crown of life, eternal life with Jesus. The second death, eternal life apart. From him. To the messenger to Smyrna, write this. Jesus said, I'm the first and the last. I've experienced suffering and death, and I did that for you, Jesus said, but I'm alive again. Don't forget in the midst of suffering the resurrection. Life after this pain and death, don't forget. Last week, Pastor Chad said, and I, and I grew up thinking the same that he did, uh, when you hear the phrase, I know your deeds coming from Jesus, I don't know what your first thought is, but mine was to cringe. Like, I know your deeds, Todd. Yeah, me too, me too. But that's not actually what he meant because he said, I've actually paid for all of those. The ones that first come to your mind, I've paid for. To Smyrna, he says, I know not your deeds, but your tribulation." I know, I know. It's Jesus' empathy as a starting statement to the church. Uh, I know, and you're doing so amazing. Keep it up, stay close to me. I've got you in the midst of your suffering. I've got you. I, I know it's hard. I know it's hard, Jesus said, but I'm here with you. I'm here for you. Nothing can separate you from my deep love for you. Don't forget in the midst of your trouble, 
Jesus is gently saying to this suffering church, I know, I know, I know. Because I'm with you, because I love you, because I'm holding you, that's how I know. And because I've been there, I know. And then he says this unique statement, I know your poverty, but you are rich. Those two would seem to be in opposition to each other. He's talking about an external poverty, but an internal wealth that's beyond comparison. I got to experience this a little bit in my own life. When I was in college, I got to go to Jamaica. I thought I was going there to serve on the mission field to sow into others. But if you've ever been on such a trip to a developing country, you know you go thinking one thing and the Lord's thinking something else. So they wove so much more into me that I could have ever given to them. I remember meeting one of the pastors there. These people have no running water. They have no electricity. They have nothing. They have Jesus. And they found him to be enough. Isn't that amazing? I remember shaking the hand of a pastor, and he shook my hand, and he said, you are wealthy. I said, no, I'm a college kid. And he said, no, you're wealthy. You don't have any calluses on your hands. They work hard, at least back then, for $5 a day. Do you know what they look forward to all week? They long for and look forward all week to Sunday, to going to worship Jesus. And when they worship Jesus, it's all day. They're not trying to get out of here as fast as they can. They stay. And they bring lunch, and they stay and worship all afternoon together, and they bring dinner and have dinner together, and they stay and worship all evening. I was so convinced and convicted by these brothers and sisters. They were passionate about Jesus. They were poor in every way, but they were rich in knowing Jesus, rich in knowing Jesus. And I wanted to be like them. This passage to the church in Smyrna, they're very similar people. They don't have anything, but they're passionate for Jesus. Of the seven churches, only two, Smyrna being one, received no correction from him. He says, you're doing great. I'm there with you, but you are suffering. Lots of reasons that we could suffer, aren't there? Sometimes we find ourselves suffering because of our own sin our own bad choices. Sometimes we find ourselves suffering because of other people's sin. They hurt us, and their bad choices are hurting us. Sometimes it's just a hard circumstance. We find ourselves in our health issues. Our culture can be a source of suffering. Our government, Satan's attacks are certainly a part of suffering. Sometimes it's just by following God's will and for living for Jesus. We find ourselves in difficult situations, and we will more and more, I think. Smyrna was suffering because it was not compromising and it was holding tightly to its first love. Smyrna suffered because it didn't compromise and it held tightly on to Jesus and it would not do what everyone else wanted it to do. This church held tightly, uncompromisingly to Jesus. Smyrna was a wealthy city, a beautiful city, an influential port city in what we would call modern Turkey. We would say Asia Minor. In Smyrna, every resident was required by Caesar to worship Rome and to worship Caesar and to declare on an annual basis that Caesar was Lord. Every resident annually had to burn incense and make a sacrifice to Caesar and say out loud, Caesar is my Lord. Now that's a problem for us as Christians, isn't it? Because we have one Lord. 
And so the church there found itself under mass persecution because they wouldn't do it. And if you did it, you got a certificate that basically said you could buy and sell and live. And if you didn't have the certificate, you were risking your life. The persecuted church. I found this out in my own study in the last couple weeks. I didn't know it, but I love it. Smyrna is the Greek word for the Hebrew word myrrh. Maybe you've heard of myrrh before. When Jesus was born, the wise men brought him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When he was crucified, which is an embalming fluid, a strange gift for a child to be sure. But they knew he was going to die for them. When he was dying, they lifted up a drink to him that had myrrh in it, sweet-smelling perfume, sweet-smelling spice for embalming. This city is named after an embalming fluid. Here's something true about this. It's a plant. It's a thorny plant. And when the plant is ground into small dust particles and made into liquid, it becomes very aromatic. The aroma is strong. It's used to, to cover the stench of death. This city was named Myrrh, Smyrna. The more they loved the Lord... The more they were crushed, the more fragrant their aroma rose to Jesus. I think they were named Smyrna on purpose. The more they loved Jesus, the more they were crushed. The more they were crushed, the more this beautiful aroma rose to the Lord. Even on the cross, they lifted myrrh to him, and when he was born as well. The Bible paints an incredible picture for us about what it means to suffer for Jesus. It's not probably what we think. In fact, I thought I'd make it into a quiz form. The early leaders of the church suffered for Jesus, and then they wrote this to us to prepare us for the same. And the Bible constantly talks about if you're going to follow Jesus, the road is going to be hard. Let's make these verses into a quiz just for self-reflection. Think about if this is how you see suffering for Jesus, and think about if this is what you're ready to live as you walk out your faith in our Lord. Let's just start with, uh, with James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. We'll just start with the first line, and we'll see how you're doing. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you go through various trials. Anybody starting off the quiz well? I'm not starting off the quiz well. You ever sit down to take a test or a quiz, and the first question is so hard, you think, I'm in serious trouble. You ever been there? The first one's supposed to be an easy one. Sometimes you think, oh, boy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face various trials. Here's why. Because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, I'd like to land there, mature and complete, not lacking anything. It looks to me like the Lord is telling us that the road to spiritual maturity begins with hardship and suffering and trials. Do not be fearful, he said to the church. Be faithful. Don't be fearful, be faithful. I'm Jesus and I'm the joy in the midst of your trials. Suffering challenges my comfort, our comfort, but it also shapes my character, our character. Our hope is in Jesus and is enabled by the Holy Spirit. 
Suffering is necessary for us if we're going to be more godly and more like Christ. How are you doing even with the first quiz question? Do you see suffering as a trial that leads you to maturity, perseverance, and a closer walk with Jesus? As Jesus prepared his followers for his own suffering on the cross and their suffering in his absence, here's what he said. Check out his perspective. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, and so he said, Are you asking one another what I meant, what I said? In a little while you will see me no more. I'm going to the cross. And then after a little while you will see me. They didn't understand. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. At my crucifixion, they'll rejoice. You will weep and mourn. Suffering is coming. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Resurrection is also coming. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, church. So with you, my disciples, Jesus said. Now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice. And check out this promise. And when we see each other again post-suffering, no one will take away your joy. Amen. Amen. What a great promise to those who are suffering. There is resurrection. There is life after this. I will see you again and we will rejoice together, Jesus said. No one will take away your joy. He's calling us to lift our heads. To lift up my head in the battle, for you to lift up your head in the battle, and to look up and to look ahead. That's what he's calling us to. Lift your head. I know suffering is difficult. I suffered for you as well. When he was suffering on the cross, the Bible said, he lifted his eyes up for the joy set before him so that he could endure, could endure the cross. Look up in the midst of trouble. Look ahead. Like childbirth, there's a day coming. Elevation writes a great song. The Elevation worship team writes a great song. It's called There is a King. It says this, it won't be long. It won't be long. We will behold him, and every tear he'll wipe away. We'll be at home. The war will be over. Soon, soon, we will meet our Savior face to face. Amen? Even in the midst of hardship, Jesus says, look up. I'm here. I have you. Look ahead. Is that your perspective on suffering? How are you doing with our quiz? What about these verses? I have told you these things so that in me you might have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Signed to Jesus. In this world you will have trouble. You should anticipate that. Get ready for suffering. Here it is. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Amen. This one challenges my faith perspective a lot on how I view suffering. It's Philippians chapter 1. Paul, writing from prison, writes this statement. See what you think in your own thoughts about suffering. For it has been granted to you, like, like as a privilege, right? It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, what a great privilege it is to believe in Jesus, but also to suffer for him. Wait a minute, wait a minute. 
I believe it is a privilege to believe in you, Jesus, but it's a privilege to suffer for you as well? Yes. Since now you're going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. I'm suffering as well, but I count it a great privilege, he said, to suffer for my Lord Jesus. He suffered for me. What a great privilege it is for me to suffer for him. Wow. To the church in Smyrna say, don't be afraid. Great tribulation is coming. Be faithful to death. Wow. Acts chapter 4 and 5 tell us a great story about Peter and John understanding the same perspective about suffering. I'd like to get here in my own journey with Jesus. They healed a lame man on the way into the temple, into the synagogue. And the lame man got up and rejoiced, and everybody was talking about how Peter and John walked past this guy at church and said, get up and walk in the name of Jesus, and he did. And so the, spirit, the religious leaders of the time who were persecuting the church brought in Peter and John and, saying, and said, in what name have you done this? And they said, in the name of Jesus, whom you crucified, but God raised him from the dead. It was in his name that we did this. And they gave them strict orders under threat of punishment and death. No longer shall you talk about this person, Jesus. Stop talking about Jesus. Our culture often says the same thing. I love their answer. They said, look, the Lord Jesus who raised from the dead has called us to go share him with everybody. You say no, he says yes. You be the judge. Should we obey God or man? And they threatened them and sent them out. They went straight to the temple and taught about Jesus. They were ready. They were ready. They counted it a privilege to be under threat. They were immediately arrested and brought right back in before the Sanhedrin who said, we told you to stop doing that. Here it is. Acts chapter 4. His speech persuaded them. Gamaliel said, uh, don't kill them, maybe just beat them. They called in the apostles in and had, and had them flogged. They were beaten because they wouldn't stop loving people in Jesus' name. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Check out the disciples' response because I'm not sure it would be mine, although I'd like to get here. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing that they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. Anybody hold that perspective on suffering? You're going to suffer for the cause of Christ, Jesus said, and when you do, count it a great privilege to have suffered for my name. In fact, rejoice that you would count it worthy to suffer for Christ's name's sake. Wow, Lord. They went back into the temple right after they were beaten. Day after day in temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is Messiah. If you don't stop, we'll throw you in prison. Yeah, and we'll talk about Jesus while we're there. If you don't stop, we'll, yeah, and we'll talk about Jesus while we're there too. We can't stop. He saved our lives. We're halfway through the quiz on do we have God's perspective on suffering church? I don't know how you're doing. I find myself challenged. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 10, you will be hated by everyone because of me. Don't expect anything different. They hated me. They're going to hate you. But the one who stands firm to the end, stands firm to the end, will be saved. 
Listen to this from 2 Timothy chapter 3. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life, any takers? Everyone who wants to live a godly life, I'd like to live a godly life, in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Wow. Wow, Lord. Guess what accompanies the desire to live a godly life? Trouble. Suffering. Paul said it this way to the church in Corinth. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light, momentary, earthly troubles are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, this earthly temporal suffering, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We fix our eyes, we lift them up, we look ahead, we fix our eyes on Jesus. He's here, he's with us. Last quiz question, how are you doing with a biblical perspective on suffering? Are you there? Are you ready? Because you know the culture is headed more and more against us, so we need to be more and more ready. Here's 1 Peter chapter 5. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Jesus, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. Let it be, Jesus. Suffering doesn't destroy the church nor individuals, but makes us strong. I know we try to avoid it. I don't want it either. But suffering is, suffering is a strengthening agent. Look at churches through all of time. It does not destroy them but brings strength. Pastor Chad told us recently about uh, Pastor Oleg, who's here from the Ukraine. In fact, he'll be able to hear this message. He's, he's translated into Ukrainian right now in the room next over. I got to, film, I got to do a, a video, um, an interview with him. This week, I thought it would bless you. So watch what we can learn from Pastor Oleg. Well, Pastor Oleg, we are loving having you as part of our Rock City Church staff. I got to sit with you at the Ohio State Notre Dame game for your first American football game. That was a great joy for me to get to know you some personally as well. And while you've been in the United States on numerous occasions, twice you've been here as a refugee currently in the situation with the war in Ukraine. But before that, you came as a refugee from communism, really attacking Christianity and, and the suffering that came for Christians in the Ukraine. So could you tell us about your experience before you came that time? Well, uh, thank you for having me. Thank you for taking me to OSU game. It was fun. Uh, yeah, uh, in my childhood, I still remember uh, as the church was persecuted. I remember my grandma covering the windows with pillows and blankets while we were singing and uh, having church and praying. And th at that time, church had to gather for two, three hours before the actual service start, so it wouldn't look like there is a big gathering of, of people. And um, th at that time, uh, th the church also was persecuted. Like, it was two different types of churches. Mm -hmm. One church that was under the government and a registered church, and that church wouldn't allow it to have children in because it would be somebody at the door standing and watching and not letting children in. And also the pastor would submit the sermon 
to the Communist Party for them to check and to get it back and then only allow, allow it to, to preach the sermon. So uh, at that time, the Communist Europe Church was persecuted big time. So you were a part of an underground church that had to move around frequently and, and cover the windows and cover the sound and, and sing your way in in small groups and sing your way out in small groups so that they wouldn't see a large group gathering. But you were saying that the official church censored your words. That sounds familiar to our day here in the United States, even heading in a direction where we're only allowed to say certain things and you kind of get canceled or censored in different ways. So you had that experience. Repeating. Yeah, history repeating itself. But growing up in a, in a church where you were suffering for following the cause of Christ is incredible to hear about. Tell us what happened in the church in the Ukraine in those days, even while the suffering was prevailing. What were the characteristics of the church itself? Well, uh, being my dad's been a pastor, he was, we were always uh, under this dome, you know, or, or projector of Communist Party. And they would come to our homes. And when my dad wasn't be, wouldn't be there, they would break in uh, when my sister is alone with me and into our homes and searching for the Bibles, you know, looking for them. And some literature, they would say, they would, you know, would be brought in illegally all over the homes and places that you wouldn't even think or want to think, but they would look for, for it. So the, every person who was a believer, it was a, a subject to be an, an, a spy or, you know, foreigner spy, which would be worse. Yeah, which is why we cherish the Word of God so much, right? And, and it's such a threat to people who are coming against Christianity. They want to get rid of all of the Bibles, and we hold on and cherish the Bible as the sole Word of God, as what we celebrate and, and as we live. And Jesus himself says he is the Word. So they were coming after the word, even in your childhood. Do you remember that? Yeah, because the, the word is what sets you free from, yes. from anything. Yes. Not only, you know, from sins, but also from anything, from fear, from uh, depression. So they, the devil wants to take the word out from people. And they were searching for the Bibles. And if they would find a Bible in your home that would be not printed in Moscow, uh, you would be going for life. Wow, to jail for life. Well, taken away from your home. and Wow. Well, no matter what, the Holy Spirit was moving. God was moving. And, and the underground church was growing. People would still come to know the Christ. People were still getting baptized. God was moving mightily, and church grew, and the church was strong. And when the freedom came, you know, it, it just exploded, and it was a demonstration of God's glory and power. So even in the midst of suffering, much like the book of Acts, the church exploded and grew, and as more freedom came, more and more people came to know Christ yes. in the Ukraine. That was your upbringing. Yes. Yes, amazing to hear about the suffering church growing by the work of the Holy Spirit in the church. Yeah, that's how that's how seemingly like church is growing, you know. Yes. Church grows when everything is good, but grows even more when everything is bad. <laughs> yes. And you mentioned to me earlier that the church here is going to have to stand firmly on the word so we don't head this direction as a nation. How do you see that? I think if, if the church would take a stand, and maybe we are a little bit too late, but we still have time, if church would take a stand, we will never end up in communism. Mm -hmm. uh, because if we are, church is weak on this subject, we're letting a devil, we're giving up this territory of freedom, of religion freedom and it would be at a time that we would be able to do anything because it would be so deep and far in. 
Yeah, I love your call to courage, right? You're saying to the church in the modern day, we need to be courageous as we stand for Jesus. And if we're not courageous, that heads down a path for suffering for those who will come after us. Yeah, we need to take a stand on the Word of God. Amen. Was the devil trying to take away from us? Was the, what devil was trying to take away from in the communist years? Uh, it's the Word of God because it's, it's the strong Word, it's a strong foundation, and that's where we need to stand on and not to be afraid, proclaim it, because God is protecting His Word. And if we're standing on His Word, He's protecting us. Yes, well, we love having you as a part of this church. We look forward to the day when you get to go back to Ukraine and we can support you on the ground at that church, and hopefully one day I'll get to come visit you there too. Yes, please welcome. I'll take you to a soccer game. Outstanding. Hey, Oleg is next door. Can you let him hear from you right next door right there? Government-sanctioned church, government-sanctioned church, no children allowed, censoring everything that was said. Underground churches existed, hidden and windows covered, attacks, home invasions, trying to get rid of the Bible. I don't know if anybody here was alive during the Cold War or not, probably just me. But if, if you were alive during the Cold War, you'll remember that there used to be a place called the Soviet Union, and, and that's the, the life that Olaf was talking about as he grew up under the Soviet Union. And maybe part of this battle of, of the, in the Ukraine is fighting back toward that end. But I remember this story as a child, as a, as a teenager, and it, it shaped me so much I can recall it clearly today. There was a story of Christians who were gathering together in a barn in, in, in Russia, in the Soviet Union, in the 80s. And they were worshiping together out in the middle of nowhere so they wouldn't be heard or seen or caught, but they were worshiping God together. And there came a, a knock on the door, and they had everybody who was invited was already there. So they heard this knock on the barn door, and they went and opened the barn door, and it was Russian soldiers with their AK-47s who were authorized to, to stop this kind of worship services like Oleg was just telling us about him. And they had the folks in the, in the service line up against the wall, and they said, listen, if you're, if you're a Christian, stay. Just line up against the wall with their AK-47s. And they said, if you're not a Christian, if you're not going to profess Christ, you can go. It's an interesting question, isn't it? And some left and some stayed. And then after those who left, they closed the door and they put down their AK-47s and they said, we're Christians too. We just wanted to worship with real believers. Wow. I've often wondered, maybe you as well, if I'd have stayed or left. I'd like to think I'd have stayed. But this is the suffering church. We need to learn to stand firmly. We need to be people of courage, even in our culture and in our day. Smyrna was suffering for three reasons. See if these reasons sound familiar to you. They wouldn't worship Rome and Caesar. They were out of sync with the government. So they were persecuted and they were suffering they were out of sync with the culture is the second reason. They wouldn't worship other gods, nor would they celebrate ungodly lifestyles. So they were suffering. 
and the ungodly Jews who professed to be God followers but rejected the testimony of Jesus as the way and the truth and the life came against them too. They were suffering because they weren't doing what the culture demanded of them. I wonder what would, it, what would it be like if Jesus came to us as a church and said, Rock City, I know your deeds. I know. Here's what I'd like to have him say, or I'd hope we'd hear him say, Rock City, I hear you standing firm. You're loving Jesus well, and you're loving people passionately. You have much that you can learn from Smyrna. You are certainly increasingly out of place with the culture in which you're living. But Jesus might also say, but you're also, I'm also using you to make a major impact on the culture in which you're living. And I want you to keep making the impact on the culture in which you're living. But I want you to understand there's probably an increasing price to pay as you do so. Would Rock City Church be okay with that? You brothers and sisters, would you be okay with that message? My guess is it would be something like that. We as Christians don't have the same perspective as much of our culture in some really key areas. We don't agree on who's in charge of the world. We don't agree. We don't agree with what's wrong with the world. We don't agree on who can fix it with the culture. We call him Jesus. And we don't agree on who should have the power to fix the culture. We're at odds. We should anticipate an increasing attack on the church. Much of the American church has been sort of addicted to peace and safety and affluence. But you can bet that there's trouble ahead. The Bible is very clear. If you're going to grow in your faith, there's trouble ahead. If you're going to stand firm for Christ, there's trouble ahead. You should anticipate Suffering, Jesus says it over and over and over and over again. The level of our practice has to meet the level of our competition. Amen? The level of our practice of our faith has to meet the level of the competition. And Satan is after us. Not just us, but we must protect our children. Church, we must protect our children. The devil is clearly coming after our children. We must prepare our children, teaching them that we are different than the rest of our culture, that our identity is not something that should be confused, but is in Christ solidly. He's giving us our identity. He's given us our identity. He tells us who we are. We must train our children and propel them into the culture, ready to lovingly and firmly stand for Jesus. If we could be unyielding with truth and gentle with people. I think you know, but we may soon be under all kinds of pressure. And if so, Jesus says, I know. I'm here with you. I have you. Listen again to what he writes to Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days, a set period of time. Could be 10 little days for Smyrna. We don't really know. But here's this incredible statement. Be faithful until death. Wow, Lord. 
Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. When Jesus says, don't be afraid of suffering, he isn't saying, don't feel anything. That's not what he's saying. He is saying, trust me in everything. Trust me in everything. I know what you're going through, and I am here with you. I know, I know all of us know this, but we all have a day when we're done living on this earth. We're all going to die. And it would be incredible for us to have the opportunity, the privilege, the opportunity to die faithful to Jesus. Maybe even for the cause of Christ. Many throughout history have died for the cause of Christ, but his call to us is be faithful to the very end. No matter what comes up against you, all of us have a last day here, but he's calling us to be faithful until that last day. And if that last day includes suffering like it did for John or Jesus or many other Christians throughout the world this very day who will give their life for Jesus because like Smyrna, they did not compromise. They did not yield. They stood and said, he loved me so much and I love him so much and nothing will move me apart from loving Jesus like this. Dying for the glory of God. Dying living a faithful life all the way up until the end. This is the picture that Jesus is giving us. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life, and you will live forever for me. My Lord Jesus, we need you to make us faithful. Amen. Lord, we're going to need you to make us faithful until the end. The key understanding moving forward is that Jesus himself, Christ, is our greatest treasure. Christ is our greatest treasure. Without him, we have nothing. With him, we have everything. Even if the whole world is against us, he is wholeheartedly for us. Let me say that again. Even if the whole world is against us, he is wholeheartedly for us. He's our treasure. His passion for us is unending. His favor on us has no limits. His suffering for us has brought us freedom from sin and the promise of the crown of eternal life. With him, without sin, without suffering, full of grace, full of his presence. He says, he who has ears, let them hear. Hear about Jesus, life's greatest treasure. He knows all about suffering, doesn't he? He knows all about suffering well to love others well. In fact, I'll bet a crown of thorns and 39 lashes and six hours on a cross that his suffering was enough and he knows how to love us well. He knows how to love you well. He's worth it. He's worth living this life faithfully until the very end. He did the same for us. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you gave your life for us and the suffering that you experienced was harsh. And we, we lived pretty softly, Lord, all things considered for our faith. And, and maybe you're trying to get us ready for more. We're, we're listening, Lord, if you want to get us ready for more. 
Maybe this is the first time you've heard about Jesus' love. Maybe you haven't, haven't been aware of how much he's suffered for you and how much he's offered to take away your suffering. Maybe this crown of life idea is new for you today, that he'll take away your sin, he'll take away your trouble, he'll take away your, your uh, movement away from him, and he'll move you to him. He'll give you your, his Holy Spirit to bring life and comfort and peace to you. He wants to invite you to the crown of life. He wants to invite you to faithful living. If that's you, will you join me in praying? Lord Jesus, if you love me that much, I love you too. If you're offering to take away my sin, you can have it. You can have it. If you're offering me the crown of life, I'll gladly take it. I turn away from my sin. I embrace you, Jesus, because you embraced me. So will you wash away my sin? Will you give me your Holy Spirit? Will you put that crown of life on my head that I might live eternity with you? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. We all pray in the powerful name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. I wonder if I could ask you just to sit for a minute. I want to tell you about the Bishop of Smyrna. You might have heard about him in history lessons uh, many, many historians have recorded his life story for us. This guy's name was Polycarp. Sound familiar? He's the lead pastor in Smyrna. He's the bishop of the churches in Smyrna. He was powerfully living out his faith in a culture where he was suffering, suffering regularly because he wouldn't go along with what Rome was demanding for him to do. John the, John, the author of the book of Revelation, was his discipler. He sat under John, who wrote to him from an island. And Polycarp was strong in his faith. Roughly 155 AD, after years, after year, after year of no longer, no, not being willing to follow Caesar or declare Caesar as Lord, the governing officials had had enough of Polycarp's rebellion and they arrested him and sentenced him to death. He was so popular in the city that many were begging him, just declare Caesar as Lord, declare Caesar as Lord. Even the Roman soldier who was walking him to the place where he would be burned alive was pleading with him, Polycarp, just change, just profess Caesar as Lord. What could it hurt? Everybody wants you to live. Here's what Polycarp is recorded as saying, on that journey to his death. 86 years, he said, 80 and six years I have served Jesus and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my King and Savior? You threaten me with a fire that burns for a season and after a little while is quenched, but you are ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. Polycarp was burned at the stake, and he wasn't burning quickly enough, so they reached him with a sword or a spear and stabbed him. And right before he died, he said, I bless you, Father, because he got the biblical understanding of suffering. He got the biblical understanding of what a privilege it is to live and die for Jesus. He said, I bless you, Father, for judging me worthy of this. And then he went home to receive the crown of life. Sometimes at the end of the service, we all stand together to join these brothers and sisters in worship. Today, I wanna to see if you'll have an interest in standing separately 
Like, are there a few among us who like Polycarp would say, you know what, even if I'm the only one, if everybody mocks me, if everybody makes fun of me, if everybody singles me out, if no one will be my friend, if I, if I suffer persecution, if I'm laughed at, even if I'm imprisoned, I will still stand for Jesus. He stood for me. Are there any in the house, any of our houses, who would say just one at a time, if it's only me, if it's only me, I will stand for him. He stood for me and I will stand for him. If I need to suffer for him, I will suffer for him. If I'm required to give my life for him, I will give my life for him. Lord, you bought me. I am yours. I am yours. Let's worship our King.